Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat. Ransomware and Esports, Part 3, The Current and Future State of Cybersecurity in Esports. I'm joined today, as always, with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, and we welcome back Nigel LeBlanc, CEO, and Hinio Ochoa, CISO of the Cyber Warrior Network, connecting cyber pros to the cyber roles using Cyber Wraith, the first cyber gaming universe that leads to real-world jobs. Stay tuned for the launching of the Cyber Esports Podcast to learn more. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasutornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor, AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With the Zero Trust Isolation Platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to the Ransomware Battleground. We are here for part three of the final, I guess, episode of the Cybersecurity and Esports series. I am joined today by my awesome co-host, Mr. Paul Fredrickson. Hello. God, it was so quiet, Paul. You're so timid today. What's going on? Oh, my God, you're really not talking to me. <laughs> Oh, you! I was messing with you. So Hello, mean. Everyone. <laughs> so mean. So mean. Okay. Well, you know what? I know our returning guests are going to be nicer to me. So, Nigel LeBlanc with Cyber Warrior Network. Nigel, welcome back. Thank you for having me. And Hinio Ochoa with Cyber Warrior Network as well. Welcome back. Thank you for having us. And I appreciate you. <clears throat> I guess Paul might too sometimes. <laughs> But thank you. I always have fun. Awesome. Well, so, hey, guys, I got so much great feedback from episode two. So um, and as I had mentioned before, this is kind of a bit of a progression. And so part three is really about the future of esports and security and the state of security today, because you can't really talk about the future unless you talk about the present a little bit. So we're going to make this a little bit more about for those that want to get into the cybersecurity industry or who are already in it and want to excel, grow, move into leadership or move into other skill sets across the industry. So I have a feeling this is going to be very entertaining because uh, based on our prep call, we had a lot of opinions. So to kick it off, let's talk about careers in general. Can I guess, Nigel, would you just help me understand what is the current state that you're seeing for those that are uh, in currently in the cybersecurity world? Um, as far as career pro progression in inside of the, the career field? Right. Yeah. No. So, so talk to me as far as like, what are you seeing from a uh, career perspective of for those that are actually in it already? Is this mm -hmm. something where it's like, being a lawyer so if you go to law school and you pass the lsat and gmat and all that you're on your way and or or medicine for example where you do school and then you do residency internships and then you're on your way are we seeing that today is there a career progression that's logical like that or is it still kind yeah. of out and like you know i i guess i think of red dead redemption or you're out in the the west yeah. somewhere i i think um somewhat so like you know there's a there's a happy medium so to speak um 
awareness is definitely there that something needed was need to be done in terms of actually creating these career paths, right? Um, when you think about it from a vertical perspective, you know, um, or even the technology stack that they're using, then that's where it, it gets a little bit um, wiry. But from from an education standpoint or knowledge, skills, and abilities, um, the good thing about it is that a, a lot of the, the roles have the same basic knowledge, skills, and abilities, right? And then once you kind of get into the specialized um, uh, roles, that's where you know, you find the separation there. And I, and I think um, Paul and, and Higgs can probably talk a little bit more about that, but um, it's really difficult for you to have this linear trajectory. You know, if you're a lawyer or a doctor, this is this is the career path, and then you go into specialize. Um, within cybersecurity, there are many ways to get to um, particular roles, right? Um, and, you know, it's really based on what the, um, I, I guess the, the, the key output of, of whatever organization is using. So um, there's a really good site called cyberseek.org. And um, they've created this pathway and they also have an interactive map that shows um, cybersecurity jobs or, you know, like the top 10 cybersecurity jobs in any state or city, right? Uh, you can zoom into it. Um, but within their career path, um, based on the NICE 2.0 framework, what they've done is um, they, there's feeder roles, entry-level positions, mid-level, and then advanced levels, right? So um, within the feeder roles, which is what we're talking about in terms of how do you actually get into cybersecurity, right? Um, they start with networking, software development, systems engineering, financial and risk analysis, security intelligence, and the also famous IT support. <laughs> so, <laughs> Help so, desk. so you, you, you know, you, you take your pick in how you're going to enter um, the, the career field. And then it's kind of like choose your own mission from there. Ooh, you mean like choose your own adventure? Yeah, choose your own adventure. I say mission because of our game. So, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Well, well, no, the career the career path for most of the security folks I know is is a definitely a choose your own adventure, and and it's a mindset thing of you have to understand the dark sides of the world and then the good sides of the world as well because you have to know how your adversaries think and that's kind of more of a mindset and a way of thinking like people who are good at puzzles who are autodidacts, you know, if you're self-teaching, if you're a continual learner, because like everything I learned 10 years ago is it's nice to have, but it's, it does, it's not as relevant anymore. You know, like, Oh, I can, I can rack a ProLiant server. Ooh, who cares? I buy everything from Amazon now. <laughs> yeah, it's off. It's off prem anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter. I don't have to rack anything yeah. anymore. So are you so trying it's, to? It's it's the learner versus the learned, right? And that's kind of goes back to the lawyer and doctor, because like to be a doctor, you have to have credentials. To be a lawyer, you have to have credentials and certifications. In IT, they're helpful to have if you're looking for certain jobs that only focus on having a specific um, certification. But most of the people I know are, let's say, journalists or poets. I mean, it just, as long as you have the mindset and you like to learn, you have to really like to learn because you're going to learn for the rest of your career, then you're going to do well. And, you just, and as long as you have that, you can teach anybody to do any of the specific parts of it. You just have to find out which part you like to do. So you said something that intrigued me. So you're, in essence, those in the security industry tend to be puzzle solvers. Um, creative thinkers outside the box. Higgs, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Is that how you describe yourself? 
yes <laughs> i think that's how all all the hackers describe ourselves right we're all we all want to be different uh which i always found uh real funny but i i agree there's so many feeder roads there's so many little things that um, um, you can do to enter in information security because information security is big, right? <laughs> it's huge. There's a lot more than just, oh, I'm a hacker in cybersecurity. Well, cool, but someone's got to write up my scope. Someone's got to go and do the, the test all the apps and stuff that I'm going to use or the user test that they're going to do, SVDs, all this, there's a whole, a whole shebang. You can, it's probably one of the easier fields to get into, in my opinion, uh, because you can literally, you don't, you can get certification. You don't need to go into a board or anything like a doctor would or whatever, and then your first job could be more money than you've ever seen. Yeah, it's an ultimate meritocracy, which is one of the few things where if like you're good enough to do it, you can be a 12 year old kid from anywhere in the world. Okay, so I mean, I hear what you're saying, guys, and I think that's great and it's wonderful. But on the flip side, what I'm hearing is that, quote, there's a cybersecurity shortage, that there's not enough talent to fulfill the jobs coming up in the next five years. You know, there's that saying, every company is a technology company. But yet, when I used to be a sales rep, and mind you, it's been a few moon cycles, but I mean, I would go into the IT department, so it'd be 20 odd folks in there. And then I'd talk, you know, I'd ask where the security guys are. And they're like, well, first off, they're not part of the IT department. They're elsewhere in the dungeon somewhere, like the deeper levels of bowels of the dungeon. And there's like two of them. So I guess I'm trying to understand if it's so, quote, easy to break in. Is it really because I'm hearing the opposite where there's people who are talented, who are getting the certifications and yet can't get the job because these, you know, the enterprise space is looking for the, you know, the unicorn. Am I off? Well, no, no, that's a, and that's 100 percent. That's where your friction is. The friction isn't in the industry itself, the industry itself, where it's pretty easy to get into it. The problem is you have these gatekeeping companies and these certifications that you have to have. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's probably where it is. Just like most things like attribution stuff, uh, public companies don't have the best idea about what they're doing to their workforce. And when you put these barriers in front of people, like, again, and we've had this discussion before with a lot of other people, you can't have a criminal record, you can't smoke pot, you can't uh, have this or that, the other, now you can't do that position. Okay, cool. Well, it's, that's, that's, I, I, and things like, but, but again, there's, there's other uh, reasonings, but there, it's just a big, um, a big misunderstanding. I believe uh, companies just don't know how to ask for what they're looking for. And so it gets lost in translation. Here we are. Well, it's, it's the Tesla quote, right? Like Elon Musk's largest fear is that he's going to have a system that doesn't recognize, you know, a hiring system that doesn't recognize the next great engineer that shows up to his you know, shows up knocking on Tesla's door, right? Like he wants to make sure that he gets the person that's, you know, gonna help do all the crazy things that Tesla does, all the things that they said, you know, can't be done. That's yeah. his big that's one of his biggest fears. And that's that's how ridiculous the gatekeepers can be. Yeah, it's <clears throat> there's so many um so many points where you can have uh, points of failure going into you know, when you could talk about enterprise, right? Cybersecurity and these gatekeepers. Um, part of the, the huge issue is that HR, they're not qualified to write these job descriptions, right? So that's the first point of contact that you're, you know, this is a public facing, um, uh, you know, description of whatever the job is. And then within that, it's a long drawn out process because everybody's looking for the unicorns, like I said, or the um, 
the barriers of entry is ridiculously stringent. Um, I can't remember what report I was I was reading probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, it may be, um, I can't remember the name, so I'm not going to quote anything. But interestingly enough, um, it was 68% of all CISOs and hiring managers stated that um, their best hires weren't people who had four-year degrees. They weren't people who had a whole bunch of um, certs. You know, they were the go-getters, the people who are hungry, um, you know, like Paul and he and you mentioned, people who are are learners, right? You know, they want to go out and solve these, these big problems, right? Um, and you think about retention in cybersecurity, huge problem. Um, and one of the things, one of the issues is that everybody's poaching everybody, right? You know, so everybody's you know, focusing, I want to look for the unicorn and, and we're going to um, keep operating and being stuck in this industrial age. Well, you know, we're past that, you know, this whole resume, you know, um, and all of the, the, the um, requirements that gatekeepers are using around is just totally outdated. But um, as well, companies are not focused on really challenging individuals. And what is the, the, the biggest factor in, in, you know, report after report, and you can see this on I, um, IC squared or tons of reports for retention, people don't feel like they're challenged. So it goes back into this, this, this whole mindset where how do you attract and great, you've attracted the talent, how do you keep the talent and how you keep them sharp and keep them on their toes? Because, you know, you could have somebody with 10, 12 certs. Well, great. That means they can pass the test. They're excellent. But when, you know, when the crap really hits the fan, you talk about, you know, um, operational type of um, experience, who's going to take over? So, so you, you tap know. onto something right there. So it's not just, so when we were talking about cybersecurity, and I think those that are listening understand this all too well, but for those that are as familiar, you know, information security is such a huge umbrella term. Cybersecurity is another smaller segment within it, but just going into security itself means so much more. So, Nigel, we were talking about this earlier. Talk to me about the difference between IT and cybersecurity. Just to give me a basic definition, or if you want to, like, you know, talk to me about how that definition came about. Uh, I think a really good analogy, you can think about this, right? So, um, IT are the folks who build your base, like all of your, your hard billets and, and all of the systems, um, you know, electrical, everything. And the cyber folks are the people who stand on the fence and protect it. I think that's a, a really good way of thinking about it, right? So, you know, once you get past all of these, um, you know, highly technical terminologies and all, and all of that, the question is, how do you get these two sets of people to work together and within their, their, their operating standard operating procedures, right? That yeah. each of them have same mission, but totally different um, uh, operating procedures, right? So and right. I think Paul and Higgs can definitely attest to um, some of the, the challenges there. I mean, I could, I could tell you right off the bat, like just as an end user, like I always viewed security as being like the gatekeepers, like you can't do this and you can't do that. And then I can imagine from an IT perspective, if I was a data center person and I wanted to open up a VMware environment and I want to, you know, have two different, you know, segments of the network talk to each other, I can imagine security saying, well, compliance issues, eh, shut that down, right? And then well, making life harder. And you're dealing with separation of duties too, right? Like there's some things that some functions of the, the organization just can't do. As a security guy, you can't do it. Well, there's also the cloud now where, so a lot of those things are, yeah, you go back to, what was it in the Dilbert comics? Like Mordock, the service denier. That's, yeah. that's kind of like what you're talking about, Sia. You know, it's like, no, you can't do it. It's too expensive. It's too this or that. Right. Um, and, but, and, you have, and it goes across the board, right? 
Yeah. But now you have the cloud, so you could build anything you want to try it out with a credit card. So Nigel, you'd mentioned the uh, Phoenix project to me. Can you like help me understand? Because you mentioned it and you're like, oh yeah, let, let's talk about it. And uh, I would like you to share with me because it sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a pr pretty good um, book. So it's it's a novel where where you know essentially um, they walk you through the the life of the actual IT director, right? But then how how does that kind of clash in with the the um, security director and all these different parts, right? And how um, you know just normal stuff like even just just patching updates, right? Could mm -hmm. you know if it's done wrong, it could shut down your entire business, right? Okay. Well, um, the author just came out with another book called The Unicorn Project. Unicorn. Everybody's looking for the unicorn, right? So it, it kind of brings it up uh, to a, our exact point right now in how do you um, have these two, two different uh, groups, so to speak, working together. I'll tell you one of the things that, that, um, that I've seen is that, to your point, before there were 20 people in IT, right? And, you know, they were responsible for for, um, you know, patching updates, you know, Microsoft just came up with, a, with the latest patch. So they, they kind of intrinsically became the quote unquote security folks. Right. Um, and, and you'll find that, Hey, you know what? I've been here for X amount of time. This is how we've always done it. Right. Mm -hmm. And to Paul's credit, you know, if you can launch some type of software or, um, something that you need by just a click of a button. Right. So it's different mindset again. Right. Now you have, you know, uh, it's a pissing contest. Who's really in charge? Okay, my name is Sizo. I'm the CTO. You know, so so th these roles have to be very clearly defined, and that's what the Phoenix Project started to talk about, and then the the Unicorn Project kind of picked up from there. Wow, interesting. So okay, so knowing that there are you know there are these defined roles, then let's talk about the even within the world of cybersecurity, there are different paths you can take. As I had mentioned, my background's more on the perimeter hardware side, you know, endpoint security, but that's just one segment of it. Then there's the you know data center side of it, and then within that there's DevOps, and then within that there's you know apps security. So let's talk about this a little bit, if you don't mind to clarify what that means, because I do think there's great opportunity. And I would like to swizzle that in on how that ties into the world of esports. So Nigel, do you want to uh, you know, share with me a little bit if you can summarize the different layers and levels and opportunities within security of areas that one can be in it? Yeah, so we had a, uh, with our partner, we had a really cool um, demo the other day and that got, got me thinking uh, and I'm gonna turn this over to Higgs real quickly because you want somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about, right? From a technical perspective. <laughs> but um, so essentially um, there, there, there's, there's actual ways to interact um, with our game through Twitch, right? And that, that got me thinking, if you think about the, you know, you go back to the old school, um, the IP protocols, right? And all these different layers, that's, that's, that's points of vulnerability at all of these, right? And now you have this stuff on top of, um, on top of what we're doing right now, right? So there's so many different, so we, we can, we can go, go from, um, secure DevOps, which falls under actually creating the games in esports, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the way to the end user who's actually viewing this and who, what, what are the points of vulnerability and who's the target, right? So, I mean, there's so many different motivations. I mean, Higgs, if, if, you, if you wanted to 
based on, on what we saw, how, how easy do you think it, could, it would be for somebody to, you know, actually get into someone's systems because they're, they're doing something, um, you know, on, on one of those interactive platforms? Um, I'm not going to point out <laughs> how any of these vulnerabilities, which may or may not exist in any one of these systems. But I think what Nigel's getting at is, yeah, there are a lot of from from every platform, right? From every MMORPG, from every game out there, um, there's always hackers, right? I don't know how many of us played World of Warcraft, but bots. Uh, I don't know, um, you know, uh, every game I've ever played at some point had actual hackers in it, right? Money gain, skill, skill gains, vulnerability mm -hmm. here, vulnerability there. Um, the the platform that we're we're using with the Twitch integ integration is really cool, but it does bring to mention the the new threatscape, right? Because you have to worry about user accounts now. So there's a position IAM management, right? Someone who gives everybody their access and everything. And then there's the argument, well, is that a security role or is that an IT role? Um, you know, then yes. you have some, yeah, right. <laughs> you have some groups who say there's information security, cyber security, and then IT security. Um, you have some people who just lump it all together. Um, mm -hmm. If you're talking about, you know, how many roles there are, there are an immense amount. And there's IT roles that are actually really security roles that are in there for separation of duty. So one of the things I think, um, when you look at the, the gaming industry and especially for esports, um, you know, it's only a matter of time before we have a significant breach. I mean, companies like like PlayStation, right? You know, trust me, I, I was sick you know, a few years ago. I couldn't play Call of Duty. And, you know, it was unacceptable to go to Call of Duty for 48 hours, all right? Especially you're talking about Sony, right? So. <laughs> So, so within that, I mean, you think about this from an esports perspective, right? To answer your question, um, I think what we're going to see in the future, and which is, which is um, not only pertinent but has to be um, a, a part of their strategy, is like you probably see companies like Epic and all of these other large um, uh, gaming companies actually having CISOs that are em embedded in the actual from you know from the cradle to the grave, right? or somebody who are specialized within the gaming industry um, that knows cybersecurity. And I think there'll be tons of roles that will, um, that will be created based on, um, you know, any one given engine, right? So it could be Unreal or it could be, you know, you're hosting this with AWS or whatever it is. I think that we'll see um, some very specific roles to, to kind of keep that infrastructure secure in the future. Well, that's what security DevOps is all about too. Um... You know, you have from cradle to cradle to death uh, for applications, and you bring that application. You meet them at different points in their in the development's lifecycle to meet up with them and say, "Hey, uh, I like what you're doing. It's cool, but you can't transport all this information over uh, Telnet, right? Like that's a really bad way to deliver that." Um, and so there's like, "Oh man, sorry, that was we didn't even need that feature," and they pull that feature out. Um, and then then you deal with things like you found out that marketing found out about that feature and actually gave it to everybody, right? Um, but I, I agree. I agree. There's there's a lot of niche places in, in, in gaming specifically um, if, that it, it's really just you just need to find a, find the companies to kind of lower that threshold because you can teach security. Again, you can teach it to anybody. I've taught my kids. I've taught if, if the person doesn't have that motivation to keep learning on their own, they're not going to make an in, in security career in general. I mean, that's that's unfortunately how it is. You can't stop learning. The minute you stop learning, somebody breaks something else, and you got to go learn that. So yeah. if you don't like learning and going to conventions and stuff, this, so this so think of think of the you know uh, the next World of Warcraft or League of Legends, the pot being in Bitcoin, 
or some type of digital currency. I mean, you're going to get Dogecoin. It's going to be in Dogecoin. Yeah, or, or you know, I mean, you are going to get. I mean, so so that digital currency, um, you know, all that data is ridiculously valuable. So I mean, if cybersecurity, uh, sorry, if if esports companies are not thinking um, from a security perspective right now, um, they're going to get caught with their pants down, so to speak. So, well, okay. we've, we've seen that with the Red Dead Redemption, right? Didn't yeah. they get their source code leaked and stuff? Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot more of that, you know? I mean, even early PlayStation hack could only be hacked if you had this special uh, DVD or special, you know, PlayStation disc to use to break out of the ROM and stuff, so. Yeah, but oh, hacking's been around since the Amiga <laughs> days, come on. I mean, yeah, right? I used There's... to know people who would go through it. it the, it's just the tools that have changed. Or has it really? I mean, are, are we still... I, I say it and I harp on it, but like this, as generations get progressively more and more digital native and comfortable, are we, are we losing the fundamentals? Do you think over time that uh, we are going to lose the basics in order for our comfort and pleasures, if you will, to get those games and accessibility um, to whatever it is that we want? But isn't that kind of what we want? I mean, wouldn't the perfect security be so good that we didn't notice we were using it? Um, and so it comes into, yeah, at some point I get the point that, yeah, we need to make security super, super easy, but we need to make it really, really transparent if we're disabling it, right? Like I, I, a lot of Microsoft stuff is like, oh, this is totally the worst case scenario for this vulnerability, but it's only if it's on, it's on by default. And then you're like, whoa, what, what, what do you mean it's on by default? Why would you turn that on by default if you knew yeah. it was vulnerable right. from the start, you know? Um, right. And so I, th I think you're going to see more of that. You're, you are going to see more uh, progression towards um a, a more clear user experience where everything's big red buttons like if you want to talk to this guy and you want to look in your dms you, there's a 90 percent chance of what's waiting for you right there's gonna be like predictive knowledge of what's going gonna happen um i think we're gonna see a shift probably more to that more user enhanced because we're digitally native now and so now we're used to seeing pop-ups and stuff and yeah. and people are becoming more aware what, what the problem is the people that are on the other end of that pop-up aren't necessarily taking that advice but nobody reads that user agreement, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. exactly. Or, or the or the user manual, I would argue. Right. You know? So yeah. you know, someone it, said it, like if you read the terms of the Apple like iTunes contract, it's like two hundred eighty-eight whatever days it would require you to read it and understand it. So let me ask you guys this, and because uh, Nigel, you had mentioned to me about Cycadence and Project Aries, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm seeing or you know, I've noticed that there are some interests from our organizations to invest into cybersecurity through gaming. And you made a very interesting observation to me. So help me understand why you kind of say it's like in quotations, esports and cybersecurity are intertwined. Right. Um, so it, it, the, the, the trajectory is set, right? Esports is going to be the dominant um, entertainment, um, you know, for years to come, right? Um, so everybody is really trying to figure out their way into that. And some companies, what they're doing is that they've just take taken their game, they've gamified their training, um, and they're calling it esports, right? Um, now, um, I'll tell you this: you know, going if you go and you talk to true gamers and people who are actually into esports, and you claim, hey, you know what, this is esports, you know, they're gonna look at you kind of sideways, and <laughs> you know, you're gonna lose your credibility right there. Um, the the there's obvious 
um, benefits for for having gamification and esports, right? You want to get people um, uh, intrigued, and you want to get them, you know, give them a really fun way to to stay connected and learning. Um, but there's a, a fine line when you talk about esports, and then one of the challenges that um, that cyber has within itself, right, is you know if you you know you do a capture the flag or something like that, it's not very you know intriguing because you just see these little you know you just see characters right almost like a dos right so so imagine from somebody who is who doesn't know what crazy characters these guys are typing right and you all of a sudden you hear this 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 group shouting but you see nothing you know league of legends and all these other esports they're very visual right so how do you kind of trans translate that and transform that in a way to now esports is by definition a spectator's kind of um, event right so how do you turn capture the flag or something like that into a spectators event so a lot of these companies right now they're struggling rightfully so but you know they they are just gamifying essential like you know um exercises or, or, or training and, and trying to, to turn it into esports and use it as a buzzword got it well you have to be authentic these days because people are you know, as everybody we keep saying are digital natives, which kind of just means that, you know, you can even see this in the politics of now, you know, everybody can see through the propaganda, you know, and like all these old accepted things that we, you know, that we, that we kind of just took as fact, you know, people are like, eh, no, I don't think so. You know, so if you come at them with like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, gamify making, you know, Pillsbury cakes or whatever. You know, like the little kid apps on uh, on the iPads and whatnot. Like, it's oh okay. I mean, yeah, sure, it teaches us skill, you know, maybe, yeah. but it's, it's weak. You know, it's weak sauce. And if you're coming with weak sauce, you know. So I mean, but I mean, I I would like to think, and it sounds sexy enough to say though that would you say yay or nay that the as esports grows and as you get more players of all backgrounds diversity like ethnicity everything could it be a boon for security to show oh. people that there is an attraction do you think this could potentially be a quote like a like a farm farmer league if you will to get people down this path oh it's i mean it, it's it's going to be huge it, it, if you know position it and hey this is what we based our, our entire company on right is 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 becoming the first cyber esports leagues but no uh, um, it's really on how you operationalize that right you know how do you get the the the, the people from the screen uh, from the 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 game console um i actually put butts in seats in terms of a, a, an arena ha having some type of streaming with that and then how do you actually um you know give them a, a, a job you know and you fill yeah. this 3.5 million million jobs right and i'll, I'll kind of say this in closing um we are very focused on on bridging that gap and leveraging esports for it and there are so many different things that um we can do in order to do that but at every every level you know from from um elementary all the way to to the industry we have got to figure out a way how to captivate this new generation who are digital, you know, digital natives, um, and keep their attention in a meaningful way. You know, um, Higgs or, or Paul, please um, jump in here. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, everyone thinks that uh, hacking is sexy, right? It's cool. It's on everything. Um, if you look at it, though, and watch it, I 100% agree. It is the most mind-numbing stuff ever. 
Um, in fact, my wife uh, will come by every once in a while while I'm, I have my terminals up and I'm looking over stuff. I'm just I'm really in focus. And she, that's that doesn't look cool at all. It's just black <laughs> and green text or, you know, and that's, exactly. You know, I'm like, oh, look, I hacked into him. She's like, I don't get it. That's a URL. I don't, there's a pop up box. What do you do? I'm like, oh, you don't even know. Um, <laughs> and, and that's and that's the thing. Right. We um, I, I feel I feel there's two big problems in it. One. Um, as a hacker, I want to play a hacking game that does and feels like hacking to me. Um, and, and I think we did that here. Uh, and two, as a hacker, I like to get jobs. I don't like to uh, not be employed. And so we did that too. And, and it just, again, if you're going to watch, if you're going to watch a two hour League of Legends, then this is cooler because they have a lot more backstories, right? There's a lot more um, interaction. And in some cases, uh, you could even have it where the users get to play along outside of the of the scope of, the, of what they're watching, you know? Um, if you're watching a live stream and someone's like, oh, I'm stuck on this, mm, mm, maybe next stream, you know? You can have somebody totally from the other side of the, the uh, world being like, I just Googled it, it's right here. I, I looked at the same wiki page, here it is, you know? Yeah. I think that that too, I think one of the key aspects is networking. And I think it, I think it brings that to it. It brings these. Yeah. This so sense COVID. Of that. That's a that's a great point, Higgs. And and what we experienced with at DefCon last year, COVID has democratized uh, actually getting into hacker circles. Right. Um, you know, DefCon had no choice but to be virtual, just like everybody else because of COVID. And where else are you going to be able to talk to people like Higgs or Paul on your normal day to day lives? Because well, you know, they're out there paying it forward. Um, and, you know, within these events, but, you know, people are ecstatic because they're learning and they're learning from, from, um, you know, industry professionals. So right. I, I think that's a really great point, Higgs. So, okay. Can I ask you guys a question? This wasn't part of our prep. I'm just going to spring this on you because I totally forgot to ask about it earlier. So are you guys familiar with like different hacking, like groups? So like Higgs, are you familiar with Egregor ransomware crew? Mm-hmm. Okay, so with their tactics, would with the things that they've done, is it considered ransomware as a service, or is it considered, you know, just like quote standard hacking? Uh, like, I mean, look, the 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 racket for access sales is something that I think has come public a lot more, but that's probably been hap happening in the hacking scene for as long as I can remember. I mean, we traded money for access to telephone systems back in the day, uh, the newest software, right? Um, now it's just gotten bigger. Uh, I think that, you know, now we're seeing a bigger trend in it where a lot more groups are like, you know what, it's too, it's too hot to be at the bottom. You know, if you're, if you're doing, pulling the money out the ATM, that's not where you want to be. If you're scanning the card or stealing that PCI data off the network, dude, that's not where you want to be. You want to be the guy who gets that first phishing email in and can sell that username and password to as many people who can abuse it. Um, oh, so you're just like but, a distributor. You're not actually pulling the data. You're the distributor selling that data to get to what you have access to. And therefore you, you know, you can pull it, you can do with what you want with it, but ultimately you don't want the heat of that. Right. You, you don't, you, you wanna, don't want the, you want the money and you want to leave. That's what it's about in, in the black hat world. Right. And, and really the, the fundamental problem is we're paying them. You just, we just paid somebody like $40 million, right? And that's, that's $40 million. You could say in Bitcoin or in, you know, Dogecoin or in whatever coin, uh, but that's $40 million. 
I, I guarantee you if any one of us had a login and password that we could guarantee could make us $40 million, uh, we'd all take a second to kind of ponder that. Maybe it's $40 million would be worth it. Oh, it take more than a few seconds, my friend. I'm not going to lie. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's Sorry. Right. But, yeah. But, you know? okay. So, oh, okay. So, so there was like a question that I had earlier that someone had asked me. So this extortion behaviors, like these ransom demands, it, it, it's, it, is it, is it, crypto that they're all wanting um you know be paid in now or do they care about regular cash anymore or is it is it pure like what help me understand all that like they just want money right it's just about money um, they want the easiest form of money that can they can use mm-hmm. i mean yeah. bitcoin helps because it stops these you know the, the federalities busting in your door um but at the same time cryptocurrencies you know quasi trackable they're coming up with new laundering schemes you have to deal with now so there's gonna be all those issues um i think i think it's gonna be a lot more innocent people hurt on the sidelines we don't hear about um the companies are getting hit but there's you still have to launder that you still have to break that up um you know they can transfer at least the accounts they can start seeing what you're buying start tying that with leaked personal information and if your opsec isn't perfect then you're caught mm. um, oh, also it's a it's a, it's it, Bitcoin to use it as an example. That's how they caught they caught the guys in the in the Silk Road thing, right? The 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 dirty cops that were on there that could actually delete the evidence got caught because the you know because the blockchain is public, and they said, hey, we noticed a lot of this money went into this guy's pocket over here, you know. So it's like th- this whole thing about like, oh, it's it's super easy to commit crime on it because that's what the Silk Road used. They used Bitcoin. It's like no, it's 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 meant to be a public ledger. That's that ledger. That's part of its security model built in. You know, it's like yeah, sure. You used to have you know like offline wallets and this and that. But when you want it, whenever you want to exchange Bitcoin for fiat currency, they're gonna catch you. So, um, like it's it's all good that we were focused on the ones and zeros by the nature of our conversation here, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so even the ICOs, the initial coin authorings. I mean, huge scams. Um, you know, there's this. There was this lady um, uh, in Europe, and I kind of um, consider her the Kevin Mitnick of the whole Bitcoin scam thing, right? Talk about social energy. She was literally um, able to raise billions of dollars, and then took off with that, right? Oh, Just the the it was like an Indian lady. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. She so, was going around telling everybody. I, I remember that story. I mean, she got she got backed by major players, billionaires, right, bankers, and everything. Um, so <clears throat> there are so many different ways that people can use technology. <laughs> Something that, if you think about it, hey, Bitcoin, um, cri- cryptocurrency, only safest thing in the world, right? We have this ledger and whatever it is, and then somebody kind of games the system through social engineering, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just totally bypasses the, the entire security protocol of, you know, uh, of, of Bitcoin and, and um, blockchain. Right. And just takes the money and, and leaves with it. So to, to Hicks's point, people just, they're, they're motivated by money. They just want to get paid. And, um, and right now cryptocurrency is, is the best way to kind of bypass or beat attribution. You know, um, you know, or to maybe obfuscate attribution, um, you know, to get away with some shady stuff. So, okay, so we're just tying this back together and you're kind of bringing it right back to me then is, 
again, you're going to hear me say zero trust over and over again, because it just sounds like to me, no matter what, even in the esports industry, as this is a burgeoning industry, that's going to be 2.2 billion, they, you know, predict uh, by 2025 or something like that, or 2022, which by the way, is next year, which is mind boggling to me. Does that mean any... In any enterprise that is either they're a dev and they're building the next, you know, game and creating the next, you know, uh, Red Dead Redemption to another aspect of maybe the actual stadiums itself, the physical perimeter. Is it safe to assume every point of contact access just has to be isolated in some capacity? Is it going to be the same type of pol uh, policies as you were a regular business and enterprise then? Um yeah, it's the, the, the actual esports developers and the producers, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see your product in a different way. And that's why hacking is so successful, right? You know, a lot of stuff was, was created um, and it wasn't created from a security perspective, right? right. So uh, unfortunately, just like everything else, human existence, we're going to have to learn a lot of hard lessons because the people who are motivated to do these um, hacks and, um, you know, they're going to find the gaps and, you know, you have to give it up to, like, you know, people think, you know, hacking, we're focused on, on the actual, um, on the ones and zeros and the actual hardware software, but there's real psychology behind this. Right. And for, you know, and SolarWinds is a great example of that. Right. You know, for somebody to be as meticulous and just be so patient in order to, to infiltrate that, yeah, we're going to have to learn a lot of hard lessons, um, you know, within the esports industry for, for some time to come. And then, you know, it will get better over time. But I think it's so nascent that um, there are a lot of things that we don't know we don't know. That sounds about right. So, you know, it sounds like to me, Paul, maybe something like a ransomware kill switch might be really good. That would help because the Internet's a scary place nowadays. It's not all rainbows and... Uh... Unicorns. And unicorns speaking of unicorns, you know, this is a question you told me you didn't want to answer, but I'm going to challenge all of you to this. So gentlemen, uh, real quick answer each. What do you think is the future? What is going to be the future of cybersecurity uh, and esports? Distributed finance. Paul Coyne. Uh, Nigel? Oh, okay. Higgs? Uh, I'll, I'll argue it's going to be uh, probably some kind of next-gen firewall. Someone will try to find some new way to stop access, and that's what it will be. When they've got money. Um, I think a good example of what's to come is the... the remember the Sony hack? Um, oh, yes. Career the, with the, the movie? Um, I think that's what's going to be... Um, very prevalent in in the near future and for some time to come um you know if you esports e leagues and esports companies are essentially going to be um multimedia companies point blank period and yeah. what's their what's their currency eyeballs and that the actual um content is king in so many ways right so um you know that i mean ransomware is just just going to take over you know in terms of um you know hackers you know getting getting um their hands on on a lot of your actual digital currency so i think we'll we'll have some issues there wow you guys are actually gave intelligent thoughtful answers i thought one of you was going to cop not Higgs because Higgs is actually an honorable man but i thought you guys were going to give me some matrix answer paul 
Paul. Red, green, red pill, blue Sorry, pill. I took the, sorry, see, I took the orange pill, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Higgs, we did have an interesting conversation on, on who, who is the one, right? Is it Agent Smith or Neo, right? The I want to hear it. Old, the age old question, who was the one? Well, first we have to argue over who was the one, right? Uh, so I've heard, and I, I, I subscribe to actually them both being the one, and they're just the same side of different coins. Um, whereas one would have a good side, one has their bad side. It's control fighting over control. I wouldn't pick one or the other, um, but I think they're they're definitely tied. We'll have to see when the Matrix Four comes out in a month. Oh, I, it's it's just going to explain that. The, I'm what a little I bit disappointed you in exactly. you guys. Clearly, oh, it's okay. the one. Well, of course. I mean, oh, well, of course, John Wick is the one. What do you mean? The the Oracle said so. All right, the Oracle said so. So we have to go with the Oracle, right? Well, I mean, (laughs) but but that's like two and three. Start talking about how the Oracle's kind of on the side of the machines, kind of. I guess she's a construct of constructs. I don't know. Too much philosophy for me. Oh my gosh, you guys are hilarious. You know what? I had so much fun with you guys. So Higgs, Nigel, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for guesting us for three rounds of discussion around ransomware and esports. Paul, as always, thank you so much. Do you have any parting thoughts? Paul? No. Sorry. No. I ended on no words. I started on no words. Exactly. I guess it's <laughs> it must perfect... be a, it must be the day. <laughs> it's a perfect and fitting end. Okay. And just one last time, Nigel, if you don't mind speaking on behalf of Cyber Warrior Network, how can uh, folks get a hold of you guys and learn about more, uh, learn more about you? Um, hit us up at cyberwarriornetwork.com and all of our social media handles. Really easy. CWN Cyber. Um, we are going to be participating in DEF CON again this year. So we're looking forward to that. Um, if anybody um, wants information, let, let's be honest. So the rest of the team really runs it. So if you, you want any information, hit up Higgs. Don't hit me up because I got to go to him anyways, right? So, <laughs> and he he's 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 um you know much more active on social media than I am. But anyways, um, if you in all seriousness, if you you had any questions or you um you know want to collaborate with us, just hit us up. And thank you again for having us. Um, you know, whenever you need us, just let us know. And um, looking forward to connecting with our um, uh, podcast and getting that launched soon. Exactly, exactly. So I just want to give a shout out to you guys on this. So real quick, what are you guys launching? Cyber Esports Podcast. Thank you very much, Higgs, Nigel, Paul. Uh, I guess that will wrap it up for another wonderful conversation on the Ransomware Battleground, guys. See ya until next time. Thank you.